Edmonton, what is up? March 26th, finally, I am coming through to Edmonton. It hasn't been this crunk since Gretzky was on the ice. Edmonton, Canada, March 26th, me giving the keynote, Q&A with you, the State of the Union of Entrepreneurship, Marketing, and Business. Information below, I hope to see you there. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What up, podcast, and welcome back for another episode. Today, Gary visits the Jim Rome podcast, where they talk about football and why sports cards is a crazy opportunity. So make sure to hit them up, as well as leave a review, and I hope you enjoy. Gary, it's always great to get an opportunity to speak with you. So let me start you off, Gary, the way I always do, given your crazy travel schedule. Exactly where are you right now, and what are you focused on? I am in New York City, which is the first time I've been in my office when I've been on the show, and uh, I am focused on running VaynerMedia post the three Super Bowl commercials. It has been very hectic here. Now, you're right. That is the first time you've ever done this show from your office. All right, so let me ask you about the three commercials. Gary, your agency had three commercials in the Super Bowl. Now, given the size of the agency, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. Do you know yet whether or not they hit their mark on Sunday night? And if not, when will you know? Um. That's a great question. So for Sabra hummus and planters peanuts, it's going to take some time because when you do top of the funnel brand work, you see a residual effect sometimes for 30, 60, 90, 120, and sometimes years because you've built a brand, right? With Hard Rock, uh, the hotel, we, we see instant bookings and there is some more brand work. So I, I would say with Hard Rock Hotel, we'll get a better sense in the next 100 days with the other two I think you will have a better sense in the next six months. All right, so Gary, what about the Hard Rock International spot? That was directed by Michael Bay. How did that come together, and what was that like? You know, they reached out to us pretty late, and they said, we loved what you did with Planters last year. We've heard a lot of good things about the agency. Uh, we, we flew down, met the incredible Emery and, and Jim, CMO, CEO combo. Very entrepreneurial, progressive. It moved very quickly. We went directly into ideation. How do we show the incredible Guitar Hotel? Um, obviously, we got into a place where we knew the heat around J-Lo would be enormous because she was doing a halftime show. We were able to secure that incredible talent. And then, you know, there's a lot of thought of, like, who's the right director, things of that nature. And um, I don't know exactly if he had heard about it through some circles or we aimed big or, to be frank, if Jim or Emery, the two executives... I guess I wasn't close enough to know what led to Michael being aware of it, but obviously once he saw the magnitude of it, he was interested, and that always adds a level of earned media and awareness and quality that you know becomes a variable going into a spot. You know, Gary, you mentioned the halftime show. I'm always amazed by the polarization of the halftime show. Either you love it or you hate it. There never seems to be any in-between at all. What was your take? What did you make of the halftime show this year? I was obsessed. I'm a big Bad Bunny fan, so that in itself already led me to, I thought Shakira went on complete tilt and like brought it, like you know, I'm fairly into Latin trap, so when you Balvin and Bunny uh, and it's fun for me because I know like most of the country still doesn't even know who they are, um, which is crazy, because they're obviously global stars but I really enjoyed it, and J-Lo is like look, J-Lo is J-Lo because she's one of the greatest performers of all time, and it it blows my face off that that is a 50-year-old woman yeah, I, I thought, look, to me, it's a whole hell of a lot of fun. I'm not going to say you're wrong if you're offended by that sort of thing, but if you're offended by that sort of thing, change the channel. Right. So, 
You know, I think that's a bigger indication of keyboard warriors in a highly on-tilt political environment that we live in America today, where people are almost forcing the narrative to match their ideology. You know, I like that notion of keyboard warriors. You know, everybody gets uh, real brave behind a keyboard. Like, hey, where do you draw the line? Like, look, I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter what they thumb out or what they type. Or would you say it doesn't matter what they thumb out and what they type? It doesn't matter if their actions behind it don't map what they're typing. So it really matters if somebody types on Twitter that they're never going to support this team or athlete or or brand because they did something, but then a month later, they, I mean, I, I do this kind of work, Jim. You know, I look at social media. Do you know how many people said they would never go to, this is literally work that I do. People tweet, I'm not going to go to a Lakers game now because I don't like what LeBron said about China. And then three months later, there's a photo of them at a Lakers game. Right. So my theory is the actions matter. I just know that 99% of people on Twitter and social media are posturing and don't back up their actions. They say they're mad about privacy and they're gonna delete Facebook, but they post on Instagram. They say they're outraged by that performance to look good in front of their conservative friends, but meanwhile, they're buying the album. They say that they're so mad at Delta for what they did, but they fly Delta. So the, the reality is, um, I, I, I know that people's actions don't match their hyperbole on social. So Gary, why do they do it? They've got nothing better to do. Why do people no, say no, and do no. things that they will not back up? Because they want affirmation from people. They want their uncle who they admire, who sees the world that way, to think that they are friends. They want to impress their neighbors. They, or they're manifesting their own unhappiness and fear. And they're, you know, there's two ways to build the biggest building in town. Either build it or tear somebody else's down. Mm. Most people want to tear somebody else's down. But that's just an indicator of their own insecurity and unhappiness. I love that line. Gary Vee joining us. Gary, you mentioned LeBron. I want to ask you about that tragic helicopter crash that Kobe and Gianna Bryant's lives were taken, as well as seven others, and it cast a pall, obviously, over the entire nation, but especially over Super Bowl week. I know you were there. I was there. You're a huge NBA fan. Were you ever able to spend any time with Kobe? Oof. I wish you saw the goosebumps. Kobe's passing is going to have a pretty long-lasting effect on me. I think one of the strengths and weaknesses of my life was that I don't reach out to people. And um, I'm busy, I'm focused on my stuff, and I'm so thrilled when people reach out, right? Like, you know, and, I'm, and then I lean in completely. You know this, because that happened with us. Like I, and when I tell you on an every other week basis, because I'm fortunate in my life that I get to have dinner or meetings with cool people, interesting people who've had the luxury to spend meaningful time with Kobe, literally 15 times in the last two years, after me saying something, somebody would literally stop and say something like, hey, you and Kobe must be really good friends. I had never met Kobe. And it's because I always knew we would. And I always knew that we would be kindred spirits. And we had a lot of similar views around work ethic and tenacity, but also like humanity and fatherhood and things of that nature. And um, I did not. And I am wildly lucky that I don't have a lot of regrets. But... I definitely regret it. And I regret it because it was so easy for me to extend an olive branch, whether 
I mean, the amount of, even people like, even like people like Darren Ravel, who were close to Kobe, would say like, you want me to reach out? We should, you should do dinner. And, and I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, cause I like the feeling, not for ego, but like, I don't like bothering people. I'm sure there's some underlining you if I'm being authentic. Like, I like when people reach out and then, and then I want to bring value. I don't like to ask. I like to give, right? And so uh, it was a mistake and one that has, I've already reached out to multiple people I admire um, to ask for a drink or a meeting strictly because of that horrific tragedy. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your thoughts on that. So, Gary, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, let me ask you this. 2020, right now, in fact, as you and I speak, is it a good time or a bad time to try and start or build a business? It's the best time ever. The problem is most will fail because it's also the greatest era of entrepreneurship being cool. And most people want to do it because it's now like a rapper and an athlete and they won't deploy the self-awareness. And unlike rap and sports, it's not so obvious that you suck at it right away because you can hide it. And so it's the greatest time because the internet's at scale and the cost of entry is low. It's also the scariest time because a lot of people have been tricked into thinking it's the only way or the coolest way and they won't be self-aware and they'll get caught in a bubble. All right, so Gary, for instance, would you be who you are or where you are if not for the internet? No. I would be a version of it. I was an entrepreneur before the internet, um, but I would have nowhere close to the notoriety and brand which has led to other business opportunities because I wouldn't have moved to Hollywood and got on TV. I just would have never left, left the wine store in New Jersey. I just would have built the you know, McDonald's of wine stores. Hey, Gary, when you were in the wine store working for your father and then running it, I mean, you were killing yourself. You were putting in hours and hours and hours, and you went years, years, literally, without buying anything for yourself, without taking any vac vacations. Did you do that because, did you do it for you, or did you do it for your dad and your family? I probably did a 50-50 for those two things, and, I, and ultimately 100% because I loved it. But, but you've got me pegged on this. Like, it was a big deal for me to the, – the proudest thing I've ever done was I took my dad's business from 3 to $60 million, never paid myself $100,000 a year, and left with nothing. Mm. How come? And that is, How come? Because I gave. It's kind of the same disease I have with – it's my vulnerability. It was my vulnerability with not easily having dinner with Kobe – it was my vulnerability with my dad, so I had to start over at 34 with nothing. I started VaynerMedia in a conference room of another company because I had no money. I want the legacy. I want the respect more than I want the money. But that also leads to potential resentment. You know, I'd be lying if I didn't say there were days where I would, when you build such a big business for your pops that you're like, why isn't pops asking to give me a piece of the business? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, it's kind of like your gift is your curse. But I, I would say I did it for myself, too, because it was fun. I loved it. I love business. So where did you... By the way, Jim, while I'm on the show, yes. I don't know, even know why. It's, I'm going to tell you a weird story, and I know people are listening, and I just... Back to value. I think this is going to help one to five people because they'll act on it, and it'll help a thousand people to look into it. Um, sports cards are exploding, Jim. Tell me. Like, well, I, I need everybody who's listening right now to really go to StockX and eBay and see what's going on. I've been investing in sports cards for 18 months. I bought 50 LeBron rookies a, eight, uh, a year, not even a year ago. Last, what are we in, February? Last April and May and June, I bought 50 LeBron rookies, and now they grade them. You send them to a company, they say if it's a perfect 10, a 9, an 8. 
I bought 50 perfect tens at $1,050 a piece. Now they're selling for $4,000 a piece. Wow. So um, give me, Gary, give me a brief primer. Not knowing a lot about this, if I want to dip my toe in, if I eBay, want to take a fairly big swing, yep. what do I do? You go to Google and you search sports cards. You know, why are sports cards going up? Like you type in questions on Google. Then you go to eBay completed items and you type in athletes, Lamar Jackson rookie card, and you hit you hit search and then you hit completed items and you can see for the last two, three months how much they've gone for. Let me give you the comp there. I wanted to do it and I sucked. I mis made a huge mistake. I didn't take action because I liked Lamar's game. I didn't think he was going to do what he did this year. But Lamar rookies in perfect tens were $35 going into the season. Now they're 300 hmm. Last year I did it with Giannis. I bought him at 180 they went, They're at 800 now. Um, here's, so you go to eBay and StockX and you look at the prices and you look at completed auctions and that gives you you spend four to ten hours on that looking up athletes most of the cards your listeners and i grew up with aren't worth anything because it was during the junk wax era where they made a million of these now they make limited numbers of them and the vintage graded stuff is going great but there's three reasons 45 year olds are now having seven now have seven year olds so they're reliving their childhood gambling you can buy a 200 dollars pack of cards right now that's how much they can be now jim 200 for one pack but you can pull $150,000 Luca or Zion. So gambling, and then finally, you know, sports cards have a lot more volume than sneakers. So we have an entire generation of teenagers who are now in their 20s that grew up flipping Yeezys and Jordans, who now if they think that Lamar Jackson's gonna be the guy, they go out and buy 500, 2,000, 4,000 Lamar rookies and make $100,000 in nine months. Wow. I was going to say, so what's the play? Is it a buy and hold or is it a flip? The most guaranteed way not to lose anything if you've got money and you don't need to liquidate it and it's pure investment like real estate and stocks is old basketball cards. Dr. J, Kareem, Jordan, Barkley, Larry Bird, and Magic rookies because basketball for the next 20 years is going to continue to grow in popularity and I think basketball cards are underpriced. On the flip side, the biggest gamble return on investment is buying baseball rookies because they make them four years early and you can literally buy a Wander Franco now, even though he's three years away from the league. I mean, if you bought Pete Alonso at this time last year, I mean, they went up 100x. Mm. You could have like, I mean, it's scary how little you could have put in and what your return could be. Or, you know, for example, for transparency, I've bought 500 Devontae Graham rookie cards, the point guard in Charlotte. I sure. like his game, I think, in the next three, four years. But I know that you have like the best sports audience and I'm just trying to think about like if somebody wants to do a side hustle and if you're listening to the burning and you're sitting there right now and you're like, you're thinking about start, I know a lot of people now want to invest in startups. They want to find their Facebook and Uber, but that's 99% likely going to fail. Or they love to gamble and they're analytical and they're good at daily fantasy and, and, and sports betting. But that's high risk, high return. You either win or lose. It's binary. Meanwhile, there's a ton of people who are listening right now who know that David Njoku was hurt this year, but he's a freak tight end and he might come back next year. Or they love some, you know, the, the prospect on the, on the Orioles right now. I can't remember the hitting kid. Like, or they, they think that, like I do, that Sam Darnold's way better than he actually has shown because he's had real difficulties with offensive line. And Joe Douglas has proven in Philly that he's going to build an offensive line. And what does that mean to him? Or that you thought Baker had an off season. I don't, but you might. Or, you know, so there's a ton to do on speculation with limited downside 
and high upside. And so that's how I see it. Podcast, what's good? I uh, want to make sure you're signed up for the weekly newsletter. We revamped it uh, a couple weeks ago and the response has been overwhelming. Um, in the history of the newsletter, maybe seven or eight years, I think we've had two or three significant changes, but there's been nothing like this. The recap nature, uh, the fact that it only comes out once a week, we, we visually loaded it up in a UI UX that makes it easily to consume while having a ton of information. There may be no better way to keep up with opportunities uh, and information that you're probably looking for than signing up for the newsletter. Go to GaryVaynerchuk.com. Uh, my website, GaryVaynerchuk.com, and sign up for the email newsletter. It's at the top or the side, or you'll find it. It's, it's there. Uh, sign up for the uh, Weekly V uh, newsletter, and, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. And now to the podcast. In terms of gambling, I mean, I guess you can define gambling any way you want, but like, how risk-adverse are you? And I mean, do you gamble? Do you gamble on games? Do you go to Atlantic City? Do you go to Vegas? Like, where do you come out on gambling? Do you participate? I was hardcore casual in my 20s, like I would love to go to Vegas and like literally I would have $12,000 to my name and I would spend 6,000 of it. Wow. You know, uh, I was into losing it because I always knew who I was and I would be in this financial position one day and I knew I wasn't making any money building that store, but I needed that Vegas weekend with my boy Moose to kind of like let out the steam of the other 350 days that I worked my face off. So it was like an investment into my happiness and I liked it. Eventually I couldn't win enough to get me excited, but I could lose enough to get me. So literally for the last three or four years, I've kind of, kind of checked out. Hmm. Um, I don't do sports gambling because I was never really good at it. And I, and again, I couldn't win enough, but lose enough. But literally I realized, oh my God, sports cards is my gambling. And so right now, and, and it's great. Like I and everybody who's put real money into sports cards in the last two years have made a significant amount of money. And I actually think it's just starting, which is why I'm putting it out to this audience. Because when I did uh, Eisen's show a year ago and said it, I I get five emails a week from people that have literally made $25,000 when they make 45,000 a year, but they really know sports. And they like, I like real, like this, like I'm being very selfish right now. I'm desperately interested in five to 15 people going ham rekindling their childhood, using their sports betting knowledge to make real money because the downside is limited and the upside is extraordinary, unlike betting. All right, now another space that I know you were circling and then jumped in, you're invested in and you're betting on the Call of Duty League. What do you like about that play in the eSports category? So I think eSports is a meaningful sport, like the way I thought that soccer and UFC were 15 years ago and I ended up being right. So I said, just being right on the radio, it's time for me to bet. I'm very close with the Wilfs, they, uh, who own the Vikings, who actually are in Springfield, New Jersey. So I met them as a kid in the liquor store. I had a long relationship with them. Um, and I believe in Call of Duty as a title. It's been around for a decade. And I think it's more Zelda and Super Mario than it is Kid Icarus or RC Pro-Am, AKA, or Doom for that matter. I think it's here in another decade. Um, Activision has proven to me that they knew how to run a league with Overwatch. So I got to see them doing once. The Wilfs are world class, um, and uh, and I wrote a big check, and I think it's going to be a big part of the money that I use to buy the New York Jets. All right, so the New York Jets. You and I have talked about that in the past. Your desire to buy the New York Jets. How certain? I mean, it's there are certain things you can control, certain things you cannot control. How certain are you that this is going to happen? A lot more than I should be. 
Meaning, you know, a lot of people are hearing my voice for the first time or they thought I was annoying last time or they're into my stuff. But like, I don't take lightly that I'm gonna buy a four to six billion dollar thing. Um, I weirdly believe that I will create the level of wealth needed. Um, and I weirdly believe that this is written and the timing of the Johnson family liquidating for the Jets will coincide with my ability to purchase them. But the best part of it all is for me, Jim, is the game of trying to get them is so fun and worth it that I would, like, I won't be devastated if they sell in seven years and I don't have the money. I understand that. Now, before I let you go, Gary, let me ask you this. I'll never forget mid-90s as I was coming up, Peter Goober reaches out to me and says, I want to have lunch. And I have no idea why. I'm blown away, but I've got no idea why, but I'm thrilled. And so we're talking and we're talking and I'm spellbound. And then he, he locks in on me and he looks me in the eye and he says, I'm going to tell you something right now and I don't want you ever to forget this. I said, yes. He said, S-Y-M. I said, I'm sorry. He said, S-Y-M. So I'm frantically searching my mental hard drive and I'm really frustrated and embarrassed that I can't decipher this code. He says, S-Y-M, save your money. And you talk about your timeless advice. You actually have your own spin on this. I heard you say recently, quote, people buy too much dumb How damaging, Gary, is it to your future to buy dumb And how often do people do that? I'll answer number two. People buy it all the time because they're insecure and they think the things they buy will make them look successful and happy when they're not. And there's a reason Peter has become who he's become and there's a reason I'll become who I've become and saving money is not glamorized in our society anymore, unfortunately, but it is remarkably powerful, especially when the economy collapses because then you can use it to do remarkable growth. I want to ask you this too, really important. I understand the power of the mind, right? You had a conversation recently where you asked, is cold a brain thing? This is really important to me. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute, Gary. Did you get your answer? Where do you come out on that? Is cold a brain thing? So for everybody who's listening, I was referring to, um, you know, being cold because I don't wear a jacket. I also can mean getting a cold because I haven't been sick in seven years. Uh, Here's what I would say. I failed all my science classes, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. One human being's point of view who has a lot of intuition and it's served him well. I'm wildly fascinated how underrated the brain is, and I'm very scared on what it can actually do because I've done a lot of weird things with myself that make no sense. Like what? Like deciding I won't get sick again, and I haven't. Yeah, I was going to say, Gary, traveling the way you travel, working the way you work, living where you live, how do you go seven years without getting sick? Barely washing my hands, shaking all of them, kissing all the babies, getting two fevers a year prior to when I decided where it would stack me up for a day and a half to the just say, and then every time something feels like it's happening, fight and talk to myself. It's weird as you talk yourself out of illness. And, and listen, I'm already ready for Twitter. Like, I'm excited. Are we live or are you recording and you're airing? No, we're going to air. No, you're on tape right now, but th- this will go out, of course. So now, don't, don't reach for your phone right I'm, this second. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. What I'm excited for, and I knew I thought we were recording. Like, tomorrow. I'm tomorrow. This. Yeah, so I'm excited tomorrow to look at my phone when it starts popping up where they're like, this guy is a piece of what does he think? Like, I get how audacious it sounds. I still know it to be true.
I'm not challenging you as if it's not true. I want to know the secret because, for instance, I was on the NFL on CBS for the AFC Championship game in Kansas City, and believe me, they think I'm a piece of because I won't let this go. But the fact is, Gary, I was on the field a few weeks back in Kansas City. It was 12 degrees. It felt like minus 30, and I kept telling myself, mind over matter, mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. Gary, I'm here to tell you it's been a few weeks. I'm still not right. It was cold then, and I'm cold right now <laughs> so is cold really a brain thing because it sure as hell doesn't feel like it from where i'm sitting brother well listen maybe your brain's not strong enough to hold off the cold but You're it was right. strong enough to create the conviction for you to create the career that you wanted right okay fair enough but how do i make it strong enough to hold off the cold <laughs> how do i strengthen that muscle that is the brain for all the jet for all the real jet fans that are about to laugh you need to reach out to former Michigan and New York Jets fullback B.J. Askew because on one of the coldest games I've ever seen the Jets play in Lambeau Field where they destroyed them, this was during the Favre year, um, B.J. Askew in warm-ups wore no shirt and I will never forget it, hence why I'm bringing it up 14 years later. I get it. So Gary, quickly, what's what? give me a book or two that you read lately that really resonated with you. I mean, we read your books. Who have you read lately that really resonated with you? They really provoke thought. So I don't read books, Jim. I read comments at scale on the internet to hmm. educate myself because I'm it. always, I think the lessons are tried and true. They're obvious to me. What I'm looking for is contemporary takes on culture. So I'm not the best to give advice on that, but I will tell people that if they're looking to learn stuff, books are incredible if you're that kind of learner. But if, but if you're like me, using YouTube as a search engine so that you can listen or watch and learn has been enormous for me. Leave me with this thought, Gary. There are no hacks. There are no shortcuts. You've personified that. But is there a secret to happiness? The ability to not value another human being's opinion. As we end today's podcast, I wanna give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So Dean, take it away. Which were our favorites this week? Thank you, Gary. Today's reviews, always the best advice and best podcast written in by Joey Belv and Marissa EQXSD say, truly thankful for all the great advice from Gary. The show has helped me in so many ways. The least I can do is leave this review. Thank you, Gary. And secondly, your podcast makes my day, makes me laugh, and motivates me to maximize my potential. Thank you for your passion and authenticity, Marissa. Thank you both so much for writing in, and remember, keep leaving reviews, because yours could be next.